Last Sunday was our baptism service, and that's, you know, a step of, toward fulfilling the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples. And part of that is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we had three people uh, who were baptized uh, last Sunday afternoon. And it probably looks like a better Sunday than today. So uh, it's hard to pick the last day for a picnic. We've gone as late as September 20th, and that's a bit cool. And it's a little risky to go that late. But uh, it's exciting to be a part. Um, going to dismiss Bridge Kids. Thank you, Bridge Kids, for joining us uh, for our time of worship. As they're leaving, um, today is uh, like the 21st week of our series in the book of Exodus, and uh, this is going to be the last Sunday, so like if this is your first time or um, you've been gone all summer, like some of our students, you're coming back, and this is kind of the tail end, so I'm hoping um, I'll be able to make sense out of this passage for you today. And then I want to just mention next week, I'm going to take a, I w- I'm call, it's di- a difficult um, issue to handle, and it's related to the Supreme Court's decision about uh, same-sex marriage, and I just want to take a two-part series and address uh, what the Bible has to say, a biblical perspective of sex and marriage, and uh, I hope you'll pray for me that I can be clear about it, and uh, I, want, I want to bring uh, clarity for the bridge, and also uh, what should our attitude be, and uh, it's going to be about grace and truth, okay? So uh, next week, we'll have a two-part series. Exodus chapter 20 today, the Big Ten, or the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of ways to handle this. I've done a 10-part series on this before, and I'm going to make an attempt to do all 10 in one message, and I hope I can do justice for you today. In his book, Love, a History, Yale scholar Simon May calls human love the new God. In his chapter, Love Plays God, May writes, human love is now tasked with achieving what once only divine love was thought capable of, to be our ultimate source of meaning and happiness. Sounds pretty dangerous that human love would be the ultimate source of meaning and happiness. May contends that we've changed the Bible's statement, God is love, to love is God. Here are some of the core beliefs of this new religion of love. He writes, Human love is the universal form of salvation available to all of us. And he's just writing, he's observing what he sees. He's not saying this is the way it should be. He's making observations. Human love is the universal form of salvation available to all of us. We don't need long and disciplined training to learn how to love because Most of us can love spontaneously without effort. It just comes naturally. Human love is always benevolent and harmonious, a haven of peace. Human love transports us beyond the messy imperfections of the everyday world into a superior state of purity and perfection. Human love delivers us from all of life 
all of life's losses and suffering. May then writes, these sorts of ideas saturate popular culture. To its immense cost, human love has usurped a role that only God used to play. What do you think of that? Does that seem, uh, do you see that in culture? That's an interesting perspective. Uh, Certainly human love has some noble qualities. uh, And I think that's because we've been created in the image of God. And there are things about humans that can do things that God has designed into us as values. But uh, it, is, it also can be, human love can also be misguided and self-centered, as the hu- just as misguided as the humans behind it. Exodus chapter 20, God offers his perspective of this new religion and his view of human love as a new God. Today, in this last message, in our Exodus series, here's what's happened so far. So I'm going to remind us in a very short time uh, what's happened so far in the first 20, in the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus. If you remember Exodus chapter 1, Israel became enslaved to Egypt and the Pharaoh and the Egyptian taskmasters uh, by the order of the Pharaoh. And this lasted for approximately 430 years. God raised up someone to deliver them named Moses, and we pick up his story as an infant. And he spent 40 years being raised in the household of Pharaoh and raised with Egyptian education. And then he spent 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert. And that was also a time of education and training. Moses met God at a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And uh, there God called him to lead his people out of Egypt. Through a series of miracles and ten plagues, God delivered Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh and out of Egypt. The Pharaoh was humiliated to the point that he released Moses and Israel to worship their God. God had led his people out of Egypt uh, with silver and gold as gifts from the Egyptians when they left, as God led them, fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Uh, He made them a new nation, a kingdom of priests, and he gave them the Passover, to celebrate, to begin to remember these events of how God established them anew. And he led them through the Red Sea on dry land, providing water and manna and quail as he led them in the desert. And ultimately, God would lead them. Instead of taking them right into the promised land, he took them south to the Sinai Desert where they would meet God at Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb, also called the Mount of God. Why, why did he do this? So God could meet his people. And if you remember last week, God came down on the mountain and brought great uh, humility to his people when God came down. So, that's 19 chapters. How about that? Let's look at our passage today. There's an outline in your program And uh, the first thing we want to see is that commands that reflect our relationship with God are in verses 1 through 11. So we're going to look at commands that reflect our relationship with God and then commands that reflect our relationship with others in the second part. 
Verses 1 and 2, remember God's grace. This is a crucial understanding to the Ten Commandments, and I think it's very often overlooked or misunderstood. Verse 1, and God spoke all these words. Here it is, verse 2. I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh. I am the true and living God. Uh, I am the God who met Moses at the burning bush, and that's where I revealed my name to Moses. I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery? God reminds them of who he is and what he's done. Uh, He is the one who brought them out of Egypt. He delivered them from slavery and from the Egyptian taskmasters where they were held slaves for hundreds of years. This is no minor thing. We just read it like that and it just flies right back. Yeah, that's true. I am the one who saved you people. This is the grace of God. They didn't deserve to be saved. They didn't do anything to earn this relationship with God. God picked them. God demonstrated his grace to them. God demonstrated his power. God literally brought them out from slavery, okay? He literally saved them. It's purely by grace. It's really parallel with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then we learn in verse 10 that God saved us by grace so that we could do good works that he's prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. And so God now is giving instructions to a redeemed people. They have been saved by grace, and now they are to follow instructions. Not unlike, for example, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey what? Everything I've commanded. Jesus is looking for total devotion. For those who have been redeemed. Those who have been saved. Just like in the Old Testament. God saved his people. And then gave them instructions to follow. We come to verse 3. Verse the the first commandment, and the first commandment is about a vertical relationship with God. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. This is God speaking to his people, you, to the nation of Israel. And let me just say, these commandments, the Ten Commandments, were given to the nation Israel. We must understand them in light of Israel and the applications made to Israel before We worry about what they mean to us because it's going to be a little bit different for us. You shall have no other gods. A contemporary way to say this is do not have anyone or anything in God's place. And so when we come to the Ten Commandments, uh, I grew up in a certain tradition where the, the Ten Commandments are given into the church in two different lists. The lists aren't inerrant. The lists are not inspired by God, but the commandments are contained in verses 3 through 17. 
And so there's one list that has three commandments that uh, focus on our relationship with God, and then they have seven commandments that spoken on our relationship, focus on our relationship with others. Then there's another list that has four commandments focusing on our relationship with God and six on our relationship with others. You know, it's not, it's just uh, a different way to describe the list. So how does this play out in real life? Well, this is the most impactful thing I've ever understood about this. I was playing Bible trivia and we got to what is the uh, fourth commandment. And uh, immediately I said, honor your father and mother. Okay, but that's not the fourth commandment in a, another Protestant list. It's the fifth commandment. That's all, I lost. That was the most significant thing that I've learned. They, they wouldn't give me credit because I was raised Lutheran, okay? Different list. So, do not have anyone or anything in God's place. What does this mean? God wants to have first place in the lives of his people. He is the creator. There is no other. He is the almighty. There is no other. He is holy. There is no one like him. Um, He is way above his creation and everything in it. And he requires first place. No thing or no person is to be before him. He loves his people, and he wants to have a loving relationship with his people. Uh, He has redeemed Israel as his bride. Um, God wants to be first place. In fact, also, he's a jealous God, and we're going to see that in just a minute. And, you know, some people get nervous about that. I mean, what's the matter with God? Why is he so self-focused? And, you know, he wants to have... First place. I was calculating the other day how long I've been married. I had to use a calculator. Almost a half a century. Now, how important... I've been married a half a century. How important is it that there are no other men in my wife's life? It's, it's really important. I really value. And... Um, I'm, I'm really grateful my wife treats me like I'm super important, like I'm way more important. Now, and it's, it, it's uh, greatly encouraging to me that there's no other thing or no other person in her life that's ahead of me except her relationship with God. And I found out early on that she's the way better wife because God is more important than me. And uh, she's loving and kind and patient and gentle, and uh, humble, and sweet, and all, because of a relationship with God, which makes her an awesome wife. But uh, no, no other, it's, and God intended that his people be like his bride. Israel was to be like a bride to Israel, just like the church is the bride of Christ. And there's a, there's a loyalty and a commitment And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for this loyalty. And we're going to see this in just a minute. What do we learn about God here? One of the things we learn about God is that every commandment tells us something about God. These Ten Commandments, we always think about what we can't do. What do we learn about God and who He is? Uh, The character of God undergirds everything God tells His people to do. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. 
And people often don't understand God because they don't know him or don't know him well. And that's why it's so important that we give our lives to knowing God in this relationship. And we we know him through his word. We know him through experience. We know him in relationship. We know him uh, in community with other believers. Um, The first command uh, prepares God... God's people for the future and gives them clarity about their past. In Egypt, there were many gods. They have come out of that. They've seen it. And they've seen the failure of the gods of Egypt and the power of the true and living God in how he brought them out. In the the future, they're going to go into the promised land. And it's the land of Canaan. There, they're going to find many gods. And uh, polytheism and... God is the same, and he is going to lead them, and he's more powerful than them, and and they can trust him. No other gods. They need to know that because life is going to get really confusing when you start putting people or things in his place. Second commandment, verses 4 through 6. This is about our vertical relationship with God. Verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. And here's what he's saying, very simply. Don't create an image to worship. Don't create something. Don't worship a created thing. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And there's where we see that. He's a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation and to those who hate me. There's going to be consequences to future generations for people who move away from worshiping the true and living God to worshiping other things. There are going to be consequences. 